I recognize that no matter how much data we collect or provide, it will not be enough to completely reassure everybody. It may not be enough to restore the sense of safety and security that this community once had, but we're going to work together day by day for as long as it takes to make sure that this community feels at home once again. This is my second time here visiting. Welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. I'm Dan Skinner, and that was EPA Director Michael Regan talking in East Palestine just a few days ago. I know we had an episode out just last week, but I wanted to do something to offer listeners a few perspectives on the horrific Norfolk Southern train derailment, which will undoubtedly go down as one of the pivotal moments in our state's environmental history. On the episode, I talk with two Ohioans. First, we'll hear from Emily Wright of River Valley Organizing, who reports on what she's hearing from local residents in East Palestine. Then, we'll hear from Melanie Houston from the Ohio Environmental Council about testing and policy conversations we need to be having to make sure this never happens again. We, of course, plan on following developments in East Palestine over the next few months and years. With Norfolk Southern finally coming out to engage with the community and the Biden administration ordering the Environmental Protection Agency to take the lead on the cleanup, things are starting to move. We're also seeing more activity on the state level from the governor. But as you'll hear, none of these developments answer the bigger questions the East Palestine community has. Here's my conversation with Emily Wright of River Valley Organizing. So we're seeing a lot of conflicting information in the media. It's really hard for people not in East Palestine or in closely surrounding areas like you live in to know what's going on. Um, So my goal here is pretty simple, which is to try to amplify some voices and to get some understanding going. I want to start, though, by just asking how you're doing and kind of where you are right now uh, at this point of the the event. Yeah, I'm doing okay. I people in... um the house are still having a lot of uh, respiratory nasal symptoms since everything, but I mean, we're okay. Um, People on the ground uh, from what I'm hearing, you know, person to person talking to people, what are canvassers that are right from down at the site are saying East Palestine talk, even um, people are, are having symptoms. Like they're still sick. Like people are waking up with rashes um, people are having respiratory symptoms, nausea, uh, just not feeling right. And, you know, they had the clinic they opened up for residents of the area, you know, through the health department. And I believe they ran out of tickets at 10 a.m. Yeah. on the first day. So it's people are, you know, from what I can tell, they're getting enough water, things like that. People are being really good about, you know, donating to them. But they're still, you know, in a struggle of being in their homes when only air quality testing was done and there wasn't water and soil or any surface completed before they were let back in. So that's a main concern people are have right now. And they're feeling, um, from what everybody's telling me, they're feeling angry. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're feeling confused. They don't really know, you know, that the information it's don't drink the water. You can drink the water now. You're it's safe. You're not, we're not sure if you're safe. So people are just, are really feeling like they're not being represented. And I guess is a good way of saying it. Yeah. I spoke to one community member who mentioned the the health clinic that the, the health department had opened up and I saw the advertisement for that. And it says, you know, 
Um, we don't do diagnoses. We're not doing blood or urine screening, these kinds of things. And actually, this community member uh, characterized that clinic as a joke. Now, it's a cruel joke. I mean, the people are really looking to figure out what's going on with their health and what what is the actual situation here. I guess I'm, I'm wondering what immediately you're hearing from folks through River Valley Organizing and the people you talk with. What do people want most urgently? Um, I think they they want to know about the extent of the chemicals that went into the ground. They don't want it downplayed. Um, and they also want to know what they're looking at in the future, possibly. That's the two things. Like, you know, we had um, we kept hearing about the air, right? Like we, you probably watch the news every, you know, through all of this. And mm -hmm. we kept hearing the air isn't toxic. The air isn't toxic. The air isn't toxic. Nobody was talking about water, soil, or surface. So people are concerned. Now we know that tens of thousands of oil went into the ground. There's water, you know, there's oil slicks all over the waterways, um, blooms down the river. I just think that people, they really want to know the extent of what happened to the full extent of what you know, the EPA knows and Norfolk Southern, and they also want to know about what their future could look like. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the two main concerns. You know, wanting to know things is one thing, but there's also a question of who is a trustworthy messenger of, of that information. There already was a real lack of trust in communities like East Palestine before this happened. You've been asking for these train systems to be addressed for over a decade, if, if not longer. So, you know, who, who can you hear from even prospectively that would be a credible messenger um, of information about health in, in that community? So just, a, you know, some disclaimers with that. So I'm not a scientist. Uh, we're working with, with scientists that, are, that do this, uh, you know, testing on the regular from, you know, universities of Pittsburgh and Kentucky. And they, they're the ones that are really guiding that. But um, I think the problem is, is that there is distrust and, and, and not just, um, not just in, in Norfolk Southern, we all understand you know, corporate distrust. But I think there's an, a distrust with the EPA because of this. This is what I'm hearing. And this is honestly what a lot of people have been saying is the EPA changes from administration to administration. You know, there are regulations even with the railroad that are done in an executive order way from, you know, from administration to administration. So our, our issue is this. Do we have to, does our safety have to rely on whoever in office is depending on that? Or does, do we have action that's made through policy with congressional change, you know, through law that, um, basically makes this not be able to be something that is momentary, that we do make sure that the railroads are following safety standards. And it's not just based on who's in the, the White House at that time or who's in the EPA or who's, you know, in transportation that's that's the problem that people have is what are we going to do after this yeah we're all about sticking it to norfolk southern they need to pay and when i say they need to pay they need to pay um they need to empty their pockets i mean they made people sit in line for four hours to wait for a reimbursement like they they couldn't have bought a place for people to stay for a while they couldn't have have asked uh, a high school can we use your gymnasium while we're making sure you know they could have done that they have the money and the power and the reach but we also need to change 
you know, we need to change policy at a federal and a state level. And that needs to happen. Um, I know like when we have, you know, a school shooting or something happens and people are always like, they think one of two ways, don't use this tragedy to further things. It's, it's not the time or we have to help people during this tragedy, but we have to empower them to be able to take back that power and say, no, things have to change like from here on out. So I, I get the distrust, you know, we, we understand there's distrust in all systems, no matter what party you vote with, no matter what, you know, we get it. Like we do nonpartisan work. So we see across the board that our elected officials and our things need to, to really step up and not just give lip surface about how bad Norfolk Southern is, but also admit about the tie that the government has always had with the railroad being so tight because of commerce and how there are millions of Americans who are poor and have a hard time advocating for themselves in these Appalachian regions. And you all are, you know, they're letting it happen. Yeah. They're, they're allowing this. So. Yeah. It seems like there's more than enough blame to go around. I mean, you know, right. uh, there's people pointing at governor DeWine, there's Pete Buttigieg in the department of transportation there's um, talk about President Biden being over in Ukraine when some people are saying he should be in East Ohio. Um, you know, all of that. I mean, I, I think ultimately the political optics and those kinds of things are way less important than just getting people what they need now and then figure out the kind of what, what lessons did we learn here and what policy do we need? So I think it's I, important that people not engage too much in too much reactionary stuff but really think about the people first. And are you seeing that? I mean, I guess my last question is for you. Who's doing the hard work on the ground right now there? If if there are these um, entities that are kind of asleep at the switch, who's doing the hard work? Um, you know, I can't speak for anybody else. There's been a lot of uh, churches and charitable organizations that have come in and really helped out with like supplies, water, that type of thing. That's that's amazing. That needs to happen. People need their needs met. Um, but really what we're trying to do on the ground is we have a service to power model. So any services that we provide are directly to empower people to help themselves and do the best. So with our, you know, independent soil and water testing that we're doing through you know, the universities with trained researchers who work in environmental degradation and testing. And, you know, we're going to be providing people that extra layer of that independent testing so they they understand what's happened. They can know what's happened. And also, we have legal advice there that's non-soliciting. So for me, the most important thing that's one of the bad things that's happening on the ground right now, there's a lot of, pred- there's a lot of predation. Mm-hmm. Um, we have people that are coming to us with contracts that are having 40% retainers and things that just in my opinion, I, I, I can't speak to any one contract, but you know, that people are concerned. They're predatory. They're worried about signing. They have things from Norfolk Southern, you know, hold harmlesses, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. So while there's a lot of people helping out with them on the ground, as far as like making sure they have their needs met, there's not a lot of other organizations that are there about how we're going to like very much advocate for this community, how they're going to advocate for themselves and then how we're going to move forward. Because, you know, in 90 days when 
everything settles down and the media attention's not on it and people forget that, you know, we were all poisoned. It's, it's going to be up to the community, which, you know, we are the community too. I mean, our elite organizers were from right at the derailment site. So it's, it's going to take the community coming together to affect change. So yeah, I think in the immediate, the prob the real problem is, is that they had to go back to their homes without knowing that their homes were safe. And we know now that there wasn't, I mean, this is a 100%. There was not, the EPA has been questioned several times. They have come out and said they did not complete full water and soil testing or any surface testing before letting people back into their homes. So that's that's the the immediate issue um, that they're not that's not being on the ground, but I, a lot of the churches around and the charities, we haven't had churches from Northern Ohio, um, charitable places. They're bringing in supplies from all over. Um, and that's awesome. And they, people really, really do need that. Well, th- thanks for taking the time to talk with me a little bit and, um, you know, thanks for the work you do and I hope you'll stay in touch and we'll follow back up because this is long from over. So, um, thanks so much, Emily. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we're having a public meeting. It's Thursday at six where we're going to talk about first step processes with that testing and with the legal resources. And that's at Studio 25 in East Palestine. Many thanks to Emily from River Valley Organizing for taking the time to talk with us about the situation on the ground in East Palestine. Uh, You can learn all about River Valley Organizing by checking out our show notes at prognosisohio.com. And also go back to our archive and listen to the episode we did with them just a few months ago. Next, we turn to Melanie Houston of the Ohio Environmental Council, which is doing some great and important work advocating for adequate testing and transparency in the area, but is also looking forward to the policy developments we need to see both at the state and federal levels. So there's so much contradictory information out there. You try to digest the media fire hose and to get a real sense of the on the ground situation is really hard. Um, we've talked to a few people already on this episode to get a little bit of a, a few snapshots. People are wondering, is the air safe? Is the water safe? Do we even know? And we have reports from residents of nausea and other health effects. We have reports of dead fish washing up in East Palestine creeks. What's the Ohio Environmental Council's general thinking or your general thinking about safety and health in the area? I know that's an impossibly big question, but we have to start somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think first we want to make sure that we honor and acknowledge the experiences of residents uh, in the community there of East Palestine and and beyond. Um, They have been traumatized, as Governor DeWine said in his presser today, and they are experiencing high levels of stress. And also, as we understand, there are reports of um, health problems like severe headaches. So, you know, we know that there has been um, government agency testing. The US EPA really has been, has been overseeing the air monitoring and testing, the Ohio EPA, the water testing. That's the municipal water source, both raw, uh, their source water, raw source water, and then also the um, the treated water for their municipal water source. And then there are tests that are outstanding for some of the municipal water wells. Uh, what they're seeing is, so far are that those levels are safe, according to those agencies. And, and 
want to acknowledge that we th- those are credible agencies. We we trust that data and that science, but what we what we do also acknowledge is that there's a disconnect, right, between what residents are experiencing on the ground and then that picture of the data that we have. So we feel pretty strongly that there's an incomplete picture of the data. There's not sufficient data from other sources, um, for example, household dust, residue that might be in the homes, soil, and then the cumulative um, sort of levels between air, water, soil, household dust that might be impacting those residents. Yeah. And, you know, there there's a fear from people I've spoken to that there might be cherry picking going on. You see, well, they're testing, but are they testing the right things? And are they the right kinds of tests? And then there's the bigger question that I keep coming up against, which is there was already such distrust in these communities of all sorts of different levels of government and, and private industry. Uh, people in East Palestine and surrounding areas had been yelling about the the train situation for more than a decade in many cases and, and had been advocating for that. So we also have this real deficit of trust that we can't possibly rebuild during a crisis right now like this. How do you think we should be thinking about the issue of trustworthy sources? I mean, you talk about EPA, you know, state EPA or federal EPA as being trustworthy sources, but community members aren't always there. So if you take that beginning point of the community, how do you start that work or how do you navigate that right now even? Well, I think, first of all, it's transparency, right? Sharing um, in real time, uh, all the data that there is and all the information. And unfortunately, in those um, first initial days after the incident, there was just kind of a dearth of that. There was there was darkness in terms of um, what folks knew. And, and that has really been uh, one of our biggest challenges in responding to this incident is getting our hands on um, kind of what what we know in terms of right the chemicals and then the, the testing data. Um, something you said earlier that's very important is about the methodology as well, right? Um, there's different instruments. There's different ways of collecting data. I think um, the agencies are are um, doing a great thing by going to the community, right? The, the agency leaders, USCPA, Ohio EPA just today, both governors of Ohio and Pennsylvania uh, were there on the ground in, in East Palestine and, and talking uh, in community with folks helps to build some of that trust. But we need that um, data transparency to continue. Continue. And Norfolk Southern, as they note, has to be held accountable. A piece of that is that they share every single bit of information. They have not done a good job of that from day one. There um, are assertions, strong assertions, that they um, made some unilateral decisions around the controlled kind of vent and burn of the vinyl chloride, and that that was not in consultation with what is the typical unified command system that you have, which um, should be the fire chief leading that unified command effort. And so we need to have all of the documentation around that to understand how that incident played out. But again, it comes back to transparency and and being uh, very honest with communities, right, about what we know, what we don't know, and and acknowledging that disconnect between what people may be experiencing and then what what some of the um, air monitoring, water monitoring is showing to date. I also want to flag that Um, We don't know in those moments of the greatest exposure when there were the toxic smoke plumes that we all saw those horrendous images of, we don't know how folks were exposed in those moments. I don't believe that there was good monitoring happening in those those real-time moments, right? And so that's a major um, consideration here as well. And, And that moment is past. 
And again, Absolutely. a really bad response in those early days is really hard to repair to get back onto a, a track where you can actually have open and honest conversations with the community. Even when people are being transparent, there's still going to be skepticism that they're actually getting the full picture. It does sound like the federal government's putting some pressure on Norfolk Southern, uh, but it's all like now we're in the second or third week of this. And I think that there is getting uh, kind of patience is wearing thin. That's right. And and today we were really pleased that the USCPA Director Regan announced that the agency would be putting Norfolk Southern under what's called um, orders or agency orders to do a set number of things. Um, that's something that we called for kind of from day one when we were responding to this event. And um, we're really pleased that that one of those things is that they will have to pay for cleaning services for folks' homes. So in the case that, you know, residents of that community may be listening, if we can help get this information out, one of the things folks should be doing, and I've talked to a hazmat expert about this recently, is cleaning, washing and cleaning in their homes, clothing, furniture, walls, carpet, because yeah. the residue, you know, from, again, those, those toxic smoke plumes could very well be in, in community members' homes. Last question before closing, I just want to take an opportunity uh, because, you know, the Ohio Environmental Council does a lot of different kind of advocacy, but also, you know, you are interested in long-term policy development and improving the way we handle these things. And it can't be too early ever to start having these conversations. What are some of the reforms we need to be, you know, to see put in place that can decrease the likelihood of this ever happening again? And also, if something does happen, we also need policy change that can give us better guidance and uh, directive about how to respond to something like this. Yeah. So as Governor DeWine has called for, uh, and we agree with, Congress needs to be taking a look at um, real safety measures, right? And so we know Norfolk Southern actively lobbied against updates to um, rail safety in terms of things like more modern braking systems, electronic brakes, things like wayside detectors, which are on the the trail, um, the the railroad tracks to detect when problems occur uh, occur, and then to get the the train to stop. But there's there are some things that uh, state government can do as well, and actually. Um, it's actively unfolding right now in the transportation bill. We understand there may be some amendments having to deal with just those, um, well, wayside detectors and also the size of crews. Um, and we, you know, recently spoke with the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers and Railmen about that, and we want to be supporting those efforts. And then I've also heard from our emergency response, uh, Professional Firefighters Association, that we need to see reform in terms of our uh, local emergency response systems, right, across the state, because what you have is sort of under-resourced volunteer fire um, uh, divisions responding in events like these. And so you, uh, the amount of expertise that someone might have on hazmat uh, may just not be sufficient to, to be able to kind of properly lead a, a unified command. And it creates a situation where it's easy for someone um, to potentially lean into a corporation's, um, you know, taking charge of that situation. Yeah, I mean, we, we need to invest in emergency planning generally. This is something we talked about with the COVID pandemic. We talk about it every time that, you know, something big happens. You know, talking with some residents in uh, East Palestine, one of the things that they're concerned about, and rightfully so, is that they're going to be forgotten. You know, the media cycle ends in 30, 60 days, something like that. And there's going to be all, you know, there's going to be a long term discussion, but whether it actually makes the national news anymore 
or is something that people are focused on, something else is going to happen and it's going to divert us to another issue. So we need to start doing this long-term policy planning now, emergency planning, because they, we actually have the the ear of the public and of legislators and things like that. So I'm guessing that's kind of maybe a reason to do this work now. Absolutely. Right. So that we can prevent the sort of thing from happening again. Um we can strengthen our, our agencies as well. So something we've worked on historically when there have been uh, similar events like this. In 2014, there was a well pad uh, chemical fire uh, on a well pad in, in southeastern Ohio. And um, we had worked a little bit on some emergency response legislation, sort of empowering the the Ohio EPA's emergency response division and their authority. And so, you know, it's really those agencies, those uh, state and federal environmental protection agencies that have the greatest capability right now um, in, in consultation with the, the state and federal leaders to really hold Norfolk accountable, Norfolk Southern accountable, excuse me. And um, there's some opportunity to strengthen, you know, Ohio statute in that regard as well, um, to really support those agencies and also look at giving those agencies more resources. Those are agencies which have been really, if you look at the cost of doing business and inflation, not properly uh, funded over time. And, and especially our Ohio EPA um, certainly needs the resources, right, to be able to lean into this work and do this work really well. Well, hey, thanks to you for doing this work and also for the Ohio Environmental Council for being on the case. And we'll be checking back in with you as these uh, events all develop and keep unfolding. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Many thanks to Melanie Houston of the Ohio Environmental Council for joining me on the show. You can read more about the OEC's work at theoec.org. We're going to be linking to that in our show notes at prognosisohio.com as well. This episode was produced by me, Dan Skinner. I received editorial and production support from Angela Lynn. Don't forget to check out our show notes, which have some great background on our conversations, as well as links to the organizations and resources we mentioned. We're also going to be sharing some links to help you support the people of East Palestine and other surrounding areas, so check those out as well. While you're at prognosisohio.com, check out our archive of past episodes, which includes a conversation from just a few months ago with River Valley Organizing. In many ways, that conversation sounded the very alarm that we are now seeing come to pass in East Palestine. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss our next episode with Representative Dontavius Geralds about health equity in the state budget, which couldn't be a more timely topic. Prognosis Ohio is a member of the WCBE Podcast Experience and the Health Podcast Network. As always, be in touch if you have ideas for guests, including yourself if you have a story to tell, as well as topics or ways we can improve the show. Thanks for listening.